everyone, welcome back to the BT Powerhouse Podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. It is Sunday, November 5th, and we are continuing on in our season preview series today with last year's Big Ten tournament champions, the Michigan Wolverines, a uh, a team that's near and dear to my own heart. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we, we've rolled through the vast majority of the Big Ten now. I think we have three, maybe four, podcast previews left um i know we still have michigan state and northwestern um and purdue so yeah three more previews after today for the podcast um yeah and we're we're getting here next friday is when the games will begin in earnest and it it should be an exciting season there's a ton of great non-conference games here over the first few weeks of the the college basketball season and certainly michigan will be a part of that but Moreover, you know, Michigan State with a big matchup in the Champions Classic. Some of the non-conference tournaments will be here sooner than I think people can imagine. So it, it should be very fun, and we're just finishing up the, the exhibition games. There's been a lot of uh, excitement going on with those and continuing with our, our season preview stuff. Again, encourage everyone to check out the site. Got a lot of great stuff up right now, a lot of uh, – great stuff yet to come but but with that um we are going to be joined here by josh stern shortly he's a writer on our site he does a lot of our michigan coverage he's actually in new york for big 10 media days as well so maybe josh will share some of his thoughts on on that event but but overall you know moving into the wolverines i i have some pretty uh mixed emotions as far as where michigan's going to be heading this year you know they came off of a a weird season where they were okay, but not great for the majority, but got really, really hot when it was most important near the end of the season and obviously went on to a Big Ten tournament title and a Sweet 16 appearance. So really nice finish for that team, but they're losing some key contributors. Irvin's gone, Walton's gone, uh, DJ Wilson is gone as well, heading off to the NBA. So there's a going to be some new faces uh things are going to look different but there's still a lot of depth there's a lot of experience there's a lot of talent um and we will uh we'll have josh in here to uh to help us break it down hey josh how's it going hey tom this is pretty good happy sunday yeah yeah excited to uh continue on here in our, our season preview series we're down to the the last couple here on the podcast um but uh i did before we jump into michigan I did want to ask you briefly, you were our BT Powerhouse guy in New York for the media days. I know you posted on it, um, but any any final thoughts or wrap-ups on, on that event? Um, yeah, I mean, it was an awesome event. It was really cool to uh, have the players and coaches in New York for Big Ten Media Day. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement, I think, obviously, geographically. You and I have talked about this. It doesn't make a ton of sense to have the – Big Ten tournament in New York. It's also a week before, so it totally changes the schedule in terms of conference season and non-conference season. Um, but I think it was a success. Um, I think it's really good, especially for programs like Rutgers that are close to New York City. Um, it gives them a ton of exposure for recruits and for scheduling and things like that. Um, and I think it's a good experiment. And, that, and I don't think it's going to be one of those things that you'll see the Big Ten tournament continue to be in New York. But I think for one year it's a really good idea, and I think 
the coaches and players are really excited to be able to come to Madison Square Garden for a week. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I have some mixed thoughts on the, the whole move out mm-hmm. east for the league. Uh, but, hey, you know, it, that's where it's going to be this year. So it's uh, certainly uh, at a worthwhile venue in, in Madison Square Garden. Uh, yeah, but, definitely. But moving in. Yeah, but moving into today's topic, which is Michigan, um, obviously a, a team you, you've covered in depth and detail for the site here over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. Before we get into this team specifically, uh, I always like to start with a look back at last year. You know, Michigan, they start out with kind of up and down. They have a couple nice wins, but really inconsistent. Uh, really, at, at one point, I actually wrote an article, uh, I want to say, in January, um, yeah, mid-January, uh, after their loss to Illinois when they were 11-6 and overall, 1-3 and in the Big Ten. And I, I wrote an article saying, you know, we need to start, like, taking a step back and realizing that things may be sort of unraveling here for the Wolverines this season and as a program. Uh, I was obviously proven wrong. They went on a hot run at the end of the season. They uh, – go 2011 to close out the regular season. They win the Big Ten tournament, make the Sweet 16. Um, any final thoughts on last year, sort of what it meant and, you know, what it means going forward? Yeah, um, absolutely. No, I think probably between your article and Maverick Morgan's comments, maybe that kind of sparked the change that Michigan needed after that Illinois loss. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think I think it was one of those things where Michigan didn't quite have an identity. Um point guard play, as you and I know, has been so crucial for Michigan over the last seven or eight years. Um, they've had some real leaders, and they weren't quite getting what they normally get out of their point guards. Um, Derek Walton stepped up, became a leader, um, and Michigan was also just able to get consistent play out of some of their guys that they had hoped they would. Um, P.J. Wilson, obviously, who left for the NBA, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, he was amazing. Um, he kind of morphed into his role and there were times earlier in the season where it felt like he was trying to do a bit too much. He limited his, he limited his shots and focused much more on defense, rebounding, and finishing around the basket. Um, and a guy like Zach Irvin, too, who both you and I have probably written about over the last four years on the site. Um, it was a, a really frustrating example um, of a player who, for the first 15 or 20 games, didn't quite, again, like Wilson, didn't quite know his role. Um, and he kind of morphed into a role player who also was able to pick up the scoring loads in between Walton, Wilson, Zach Irvin. Obviously, you had guy, a guy like Moritz Wagner, who at times was brilliant and other times was extremely frustrating. Um, you had someone like Duncan Robinson off the bench who could come in and score. Um, and it really was, was those guys and Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman. I mean, you were really looking at those six to kind of play the majority of the game and the majority of the minutes, and they came together. Um, I was I was fortunate enough to be in D.C. for the Big Ten tournament, and you could just tell that the, the team really kind of rallied around. Uh, they were playing extremely, extremely well, um, and they ran into a really hot Oregon team who has, I think, three NBA players that were on that team, um, including Jordan Bell, who is going to become a star for the Warriors, um, and, and they ran into a bus saw. If it wasn't for Oregon, maybe that team makes the Final Four. I mean, you could argue they were playing best one they were one of the best four or five teams down the stretch but as we've seen that's kind of what happens with beeline teams they start off slow they kind of develop an identity they find a leader or two and a couple go-to guys um hopefully this year will be different i think 
the go-to guys will be it will be pretty clear pretty early on um, after watching some of the exhibition. That's kind of the sense I got. But but that's the problem with feline teams is sometimes it takes a little bit longer to develop the offense to develop chemistry, and then at the end of the season you see a fully fleshed and finalized Michigan team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, last season was it, it was just a really odd one uh, overall. You know, we talked a little bit about how it was so up and down. You know, there were times, especially, specifically early in the season, where Michigan looked like, you know, they could be a real player in the Big Ten. Yep. They might be able to make a run in the NCAA tournament. And then, I mean, they had losses. You know, we talked briefly about the Illinois one, but they lost a couple games at home that, frankly, I, I think are were just kind of inexcusable. Uh, you know they yeah, lost the game slip away. It was probably the last. Was probably the last draw. Absolutely, yeah. That Ohio State one uh, was a rough one. Um, even even the Maryland. You know the Terps were a quality team, obviously, but a, a game that you felt like Michigan had outplayed them for large portions, yep. but they just couldn't quite get it together and couldn't quite get enough stops uh, to score wins there. But you know it it appeared. I I had always felt like. You know, they just need one one guy to break out, one guy. And, and it seems like as the year went on, it was D.J. Wilson who really became yeah. a, a big star for the Wolverines and certainly was huge <laughs> in the postseason, both in the, uh, the Louisville game in the NCAA tournament and against Purdue in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, so huge, huge performance from him. But nonetheless, uh, this team is obviously going to look different than it did last year. And during that miraculous run to to end the season. And I touched on it briefly, but Walton's gone in the backcourt. Irvin's gone on the wing. And DJ Wilson is gone from the frontcourt. And additionally, you know, should note as well, uh, Mark Donnell is another player who will be gone. He was a a reserve piece for the Wolverines. Um, What do you think of these offseason departures? How significant are they? And uh, can the Wolverines find a way to replace these guys? Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess we'll start with Walton. Um, you know, he's a really interesting piece because he just got consistently better every year. He was never um, he was never an NBA type player. He wasn't a big guard. He wasn't flashy. But you feel like the last ten or fifteen games at Michigan, where he was able to make the right place, he was able to knock down huge shots. He was a star. I mean, there's no doubt about that if, if they were All-Americans just for the second half of the season, Derek Walton would have at least made one of the three All-American teams. Um, he was great. Yeah, the question is, who do you replace him with? Um, I think you and I probably both thought that Jerron Simmons would uh, would step in and be the de facto point guard right away. Elin um, has kind of said otherwise. Uh, Xavier Simpson was the one who started in the exhibition, and Simmons did not look great. I think he only played about 15 or 18 minutes. But, I mean, that goes to show that, you know, the step up from playing at Michigan versus playing at Ohio is a major difference in competition. So we'll see how Simmons does. Um, Zach Irvin, obviously, is another guy that you mentioned. Um, but just watching limited minutes of Charles Massey's, I mean, uh, we can get into it a little bit later, but I was blown away his athleticism, his shooting that I think was a big knock on him. Um, he looks like a really comfortable shooter. He can defend multiple positions. He's long. He's athletic. He feels like one of those guys that could be a breakout star that uh, was just was sitting in the waiting, obviously redshirting last year. Um, I mean, DJ Wilson, Michigan doesn't have anyone on the roster right now, I don't think, that can be a DJ Wilson type guy. Um, Isaiah Livers looks like he's a college-ready player, but 
you know, in an exhibition against a Division II team, you'd like to see him be a little bit more assertive, and he kind of looked tentative, didn't really look for his shot. I think he's a guy that maybe this year will come along slow but has a chance to be a star at Michigan um, after three or four years. Um, and Denal's kind of an interesting piece, too, because, you know, you have a guy like, like Morris Wagner who's going to play the majority of the minutes at center, but it would be really nice to have a, a veteran back of can play eight or ten minutes a game to come in and give a scoring punch. I don't know what you're going to get out of the backup centers. Um, I'm kind of uninspired by both John Teske and Austin Davis. So I would say Irvin is the most replaceable. Um, and then, yeah, and then point guard, obviously, as we know, is going to be a question mark. And, and what are you going to get from the backup center? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you start out with the fact, uh, as far as the departures go, I, I think, you know, they're substantial. I, I don't think you can get around the fact that these are huge losses. You know, Walton, for certainly the latter portions of last season, was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, he wasn't a first-team All-Big Ten guy. Personally, I thought he deserved it. I thought he had played well enough to warrant that selection. But even even if you think he he wasn't a first team All Big Ten guy, um, certainly the the latter portion of last season he was probably a top two or three guy in the Big Ten, and yeah. maybe that comes off as a little bit of an overstatement. But he was really really good uh, late in the season, just big shot after big shot, initiated the offense, played quality defense, and and really um, just elevated his game uh, to a different level. So I, I think that he is the biggest loss to me uh, of anyone. Um, Irvin, as you mentioned, I, I think he was a nice, solid player. He did some nice things for you. You know, if he went off, he could have a really big night, um, quality rebounder as well. But I think he's a guy who's replaceable, and I, I don't say that to minimize what he did, um, but he just he was so inconsistent on a nightly basis offensively that I, I don't think he's necessarily, uh, again, a guy who can't be replaced. Um, and then and, uh, DJ and the other Wilson, thing with Irvin, oh. too, is I think Charles Matthews is just a better version of him. I think he just fits Michigan better. I could see that. I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to see. I'm, I kind of want to see Matthews against maybe a little bit better competition than the exhibition Fair. game. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, totally <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think Matthews could certainly be a, a replacement there. Um, and then the the last one, DJ Wilson. I I don't think you can replace a guy like that um, in a given off season, and and not because he was necessarily dominant each day, uh, you know, game in and game out, but just his sheer combination of shooting, uh, ball handling, athleticism, rebounding, defense. Like you're not going to find a guy who can just fill that in a, in a year, you know, maybe long-term, maybe a guy like livers can do that. Um, but I, I think the one thing that I, I have routinely, I routinely said about Wilson from the day he committed is that, you know, his ceiling is off the charts because he can do everything. Um, it's just for so long, he wasn't really good enough at one thing to warrant the playing time. But once, once everything hit, he could, he, I mean, he could do everything. He could rebound, he could block shots. He could shoot, uh, drive the hoop. So, I mean, it was uh, that kind of diversity in gameplay I, I don't think you can replace overnight. Um, and then Donnell, as you said, you know, uh, they, they're going to have some questions as far as reserve 
uh, centers this year, but I don't necessarily think that's a huge loss just because um, he, he was another guy who was relatively inconsistent. So I, I think, to me, uh, Walton and Wilson are going to be very difficult to replace, uh, but they do have a, a few pieces, which I know you touched on briefly, but um, if you have anything else you'd like to add regarding the newcomers, you know, they're bringing in uh, two big uh, transfers with Deron Simmons and Charles Matthews, and they're also adding um, a handful of uh, recruits coming in this year, which might be a little bit of an underrated class. Uh, any thoughts on the, the newcomers? Yeah. Um, obviously, again, we, we keep saying we've only seen one exhibition, but I find it really interesting that Eli Brooks um, was the first guard off the bench. Um, I thought maybe Jordan Poole was going to be that guy. I figured maybe he would be the one who – he was a shooter in high school. He played for one of the best high school teams in the country, and he kind of had a defined role there. So it felt like it would be a natural progression for him to kind of step in and immediately become a shooter off the bench. Um, we didn't see him until the very end of the game, uh, which I kind of think is telling in terms of Beeline's pecking order of his guards. Um, and, yeah, I, I love Isaiah Livers. My, my one question for this year is, is he going to develop quickly enough to actually become a real contributor? He'll play. But is it going to be one of those things where he's eating up 15 or 20 minutes off the bench just because there's a need at the forward position? Or is he actually coming in and maybe averaging eight points and four rebounds? Um, yeah, I, I don't. again, it's too early. Um, Michigan doesn't have any you know, top 10, top 15 freshmen who come in and are immediately ready to contribute. So it's always a, a curve. Um, but I really do like Brooks and Livers, and I'm curious to see how Poole progresses this year as well. Agree with you. I, I think this is a class. Uh, I, I don't think it's – I think I labeled Iowa as the, the most underrated, in, in my opinion, this year. But mm. this is a class that it has some depth. It has some quality guys. I think uh, Poole, as you mentioned, he's a top 100 prospect. I think his defense needs work. Um, but he, he can shoot the lights out if he gets hot, which is usually good news for a, uh, a Michigan prospect. Um, and you mentioned Livers. I think um, if there's a guy – that Michigan's recruited recently that's comparable to DJ Wilson. It's probably him just cause I, I think he's a, a really diverse player that can trend up over time. Um, but as you said, I, I'm not sure he's going to be quite there yet in year one. Um, and Brooks, he, he's only a three star. He's about 200th nationally per two, four, seven. But I think he's a guy who is uh, severely underrated nationally. I think he wasn't really recruited. Um, I think, Dude, I think he was just overlooked, uh, to be honest. So I, I think he's a guy who could really surprise uh, in year one. And, and the two transfers, um, you, you already talked about them, but uh, Simmons comes in from Ohio being one of the, the best players in the MAC, putting up huge, huge numbers. And um, Charles Matthews comes in after sitting a last season out. He, he played Kentucky for the year before that, or he played at Kentucky <laughs> for the, the year before that. Huge, huge prospect uh, as a High school recruit, um, big transfer addition for the Wolverines. I think Matthews is going to be a major contributor from day one. Um, I'm not sure uh, where his his ceiling necessarily is because, as you mentioned, you know he really played well in that exhibition. And the big concern about him was his shooting. Uh, he was he was very limited uh, from <laughs> long range at Kentucky. So if he can if he can pick up his shooting, I mean he's a potential All Big Ten guy. 
uh, in my opinion. But we'll have to see, you know, how that holds up against, you know, some better competition. And then uh, Simmons will certainly be in play for some major minutes in the backcourt. But I think it's a, a deeper group than a lot of people, I think, have paid attention to. But uh, I think a lot of the the depth and impact of this class will probably be felt um, next year, not necessarily uh, this year. But um, but with that, yeah, we talked about last season. We talked about who's out the door, who's coming in. Um, let's talk about just the, the team, generally speaking. Um, what are you excited about? What are you concerned about? Uh, where, sh- where should fans be thinking uh, the red flags are, I guess, uh, as we come into this season? Well, I guess the first thing I'm excited about is um, I think you have two potential all Big Ten contributors, which immediately, you know, puts you puts you in every game. I think between Matthews, who who I know you're a little bit less high on. I mean, I think he's he's going to step step in and and become pretty much a star. And Moritz Wagner, um, I think when you have two of them, I mean, I, I think you are immediately in every game and you're close and you're competing and. And you, you strike fear into the opposition. Um, I think you have those two. You have Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman. Um, he's been extremely solid throughout his three years. The question is, does he take a jump in year five? Oh, sorry, in year four. Um, he has an average double figures. He averaged just under double figures the last two years. Is this the year that he makes an even greater leap? Um, and does a little bit more in terms of rebounding and assisting the ball. And a guy like Duncan Robinson, who is now moving back into his starting role, at least for now. Um, you know, is, is he ready to, to take on a, an even greater role? Um, is he ready to shoot more? Is he ready to play more minutes? Um, and the one guy, too, that, that I'm really curious to hear your um, opinion on, a guy who I think is completely lost in the shuffle is Ibby Watson, Um is is this his year maybe to become a scoring wing shooter off the bench? He's got good size. I don't imagine he'll play more than 15 or 18 minutes a game, but maybe sophomore Ibby Watson looks really similar to freshman Zach Irvin, a guy who kind of can just get hot, um, you know, play for five or six minute stretches and then go back on the bench. Um, so that's really what I'm, I'm looking forward to, and I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, for me, uh, as far as what I'm excited about, what I'm concerned about, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as what I'm excited about. The first thing is, is you have a potential top five guy, uh, in the league in Wagner returning, yeah. um, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure the people who've listened to all these podcasts are getting sick of me saying this, but I am very, very big on the fact that I think you need a star to be a top end team. Um, in the Big Ten and, and nationally. And some people disagree with that, but that's my opinion. And I think having Wagner, you know, you can check that off on, on the old checklist. You know, that's the, the first thing. We'll see if he can up his game and be a little bit more consistent. But I, I think that's a huge thing. The second is I, I think you have a few potential guys who can be breakout players, quote-unquote. The first, as you mentioned, is Matthews. I think he has a ton of potential. He could be a uh, sort of a, a forgotten guy in the background who could blow up this year. And then another one is uh, is Simmons. You know, it, it looks like he's going to be in a, a battle for that point guard position, but I will say, you know, as a grad transfer, you would anticipate that 
He's probably not really going to get into the mix of things for uh, a little, a month or two. You know, he's probably going to have to get his footing, learn what is essentially going on. But I think he's another guy who could potentially break out. Um, and then, you know, Michigan did bring back some uh, some pieces who have experience. Otherwise, you know, you mentioned Marr. Um, and then there's guys like Xavier Simpson uh, who could potentially take a step forward. So I, I think there's a lot of potential there with with those guys. On, on the flip side, um, oh, I should mention in that group as well, uh, you, you talked about Ibby Watson. Yeah, I mean, I, I said I, I'm pretty sure on this, this podcast last year uh, I had said um, I thought he was a really raw prospect. I thought he was going to be a guy who, frankly, needed a redshirt a year. Uh, he didn't. Mainly because well, Michigan needed a guy out there. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree, and and not because I, I necessarily think he's a bad player or he doesn't have potential, but he was just very raw, very small. I didn't think he was really ready for the the top end Big Ten stuff, but he has a nice shooting stroke. I think he has a nice handle, and I think he's a player that could develop into a maybe a uh, watered down Karis Levert, if, if that makes sense. Oh, um, oh over the next year or two, but, uh, but he's, he's a guy who's going to take time um, to really hit, hit his feet. It wouldn't surprise me if he's a little rough this year. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can, if he could develop, but that, I think he's like his style of play is similar to that. But um, again, I, I think uh, very, very raw, very raw. So it'll be, uh, it'll be some time before we really have a, a feel on him. Um, but th- things I'm concerned about, I would say the first thing is, is, you know, the loss, the loss of Walton, Wilson, and Irvin is huge. I, I really don't think that should be undersold and specifically Walton because, you know, Michigan, as we talked about, I think was a relatively average or slightly above average team for a large portion of last season. And then Walton upped his gameplay and Michigan was suddenly like a top 25 level team. Uh, if not, maybe even better than that. Um, I mean, I guess they did make the Sweet 16, but uh, I, I really think you wonder, okay, without Walton's explosion in the mix, you know, where is this team really uh, game to game, play to play? And, um, you know, Michigan, well, I guess for a, for a little context here, you know, Michigan finished 20th on Ken Palm at the end of the season, but, you know, following that loss, uh, to Illinois, they were 46th. Um, following the loss to Ohio State, they were 40th. So you get the feeling of maybe they're more of a top 40-ish squad. And then Walton explodes. They end up finishing 20th, being one of the hottest teams in the country over uh, the end of, uh, end of February into March. So for me, that's a concern, especially because, uh, you know, I like Simmons. I like what he brings. I think ultimately – um, you know, Xavier Simpson has beaten him out for the exhibition. I think ultimately Simmons will take that job back, but, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say back, but he'll take that job. <laughs> but, uh, um, that's a huge concern. I mean, that's, that could potentially be a big step down and Michigan has always relied on their point guards under beeline. So I think that's a concern. Um, and then you mentioned some of the front. Well, wait, depth. So, wait, so I have uh, one, I have one interesting question for you then, Thomas, um, Okay. I could see one of those things where what if what if neither point guard is really playing well? Could you potentially see Marr sliding into a point guard spot and Michigan looking at something like 
Isaiah Livers, Charles Matthews, and Duncan Robinson, and and having a big, and that kind of being your five players on the court at the same time? Um, it would be interesting. I, I don't know how inclined Beeline would be uh, to doing that. I think Marr is capable of the one. I, I was always kind of surprised that they never really looked at him more there. Um, not because I think he would have beaten out Walton, but Michigan, specifically early last season, before Xavier Simpson sort of got his feet under him, uh, they had some real depth concerns at point guard. And yeah. I had always wondered why they wouldn't play Marr over there more to sort of minimize the need for for bench minutes. But, you know, uh, we'll see. I mean, that could be on the table. But uh, I, I don't necessarily think any of these guys, you know, Brooks, Simpsons, or, or Simmons are bad bad prospects or anything. It's just mm-hmm. I think Walton was at such a high level last year that um, that could really be a drop-off overall. Definitely. But, yeah, yeah I, I do think the wing group uh, has some depth there. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. But I, I think for me the big concerns are that you're losing a lot of experience. You're losing guys who played at a very high level. Um, the front court depth is going to be a question mark. Um, and as I mentioned, point guard could be a uh, an interesting spot to watch. But so we um, so yeah so we talked about you know some things we should be excited about, some things we should be concerned about, um, what to make of who's leaving, who's coming in. Uh, let's let's talk about the schedule uh, briefly here. Michigan's set up for what looks like an absolutely brutal uh, swing. Um, they're going to Maui. They have a road game at North Carolina. They're getting a road game at Texas, UCLA at home. Their Big Ten slate looks relatively challenging. Um, what do you make of, I guess with regard to just the non-con, uh, what do you make of uh, Michigan's schedule this year? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. I uh, I was fortunate enough at Big Ten Media Day to kind of ask D-Line about exactly this. i pretty much point blank told him you're playing a really difficult five game stretch in two weeks. How are you going to go about this? Um, I think that the one thing that you keep bringing up and and you're totally right is there's a lack of experience. So how are you going to get your sixth, seventh, eighth guy enough valuable experience? So when they go to Maui and when they play at Ohio state, at Texas, at North Carolina, these guys are ready. Because, you know, unlike years past, you have a mix of conference and non-conference games. I think it makes it really challenging. I think, um, obviously, you know, Beeline said they're just games, but he said he thinks about that stretch all the time. Um, Are you going to have enough guys that are capable and ready to do that? I mean, can you throw Ibby Watson or Austin Davis or John Teske on the floor against North Carolina with eight minutes to go in the first half and say, you know, keep us in the game? And I don't know the answer to that question right now. I don't think Beeline knows the answer to that question. Um, Michigan usually plays a, a good to solid non-conference schedule. I, I think this non-conference schedule is kind of insane. Um, you know, if you have Walton and Irvin, and, and, and obviously we didn't know DJ Wilson was going to be the DJ Wilson he turned into, but if you have a better squad and a better roster, maybe you play it. Um, the tricky thing is, you know, you schedule this North Carolina game, this Texas game. It's used to, I mean, North Carolina, not, but the UCLA and the Texas game, you schedule too far in advance. So you don't know how your team is going to be. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Michigan can, can end that stretch three and two or four and one, or quite honestly could be one and four. Um, I don't know how good Michigan is, and, and we don't know how good the teams that they're playing are going to be. And they could, North Carolina could be a different team in November than they are in February or March. 
Um, but I'm, I'm concerned. I, I think it's a legitimate concern, and I think you need eight or nine guys that are actually going to be ready in November and December to take on a decent role at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the non-con is brutal. I mean, I know I went over some of these games here, and as you mentioned, uh, the other tricky thing is, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast a lot, but the Big Ten with this relocation to New York is adding two Big Ten games in December, which means mm-hmm. Michigan is going to have uh, – this this is a five-game stretch, as you talked about. North Carolina on the road, Indiana at home, Ohio State on the road, UCLA at home, Texas on the road. Uh, crazy. That is just brutal. Um, you know, Ken Palm right now has Michigan favored in three of them, and that's uh, Indiana at home, Ohio State on the road, and UCLA at home. But uh, that – that is probably even overstating it, in my opinion. I mean, a rivalry game on the road is probably the most winnable of those five, which I think speaks volumes. And certainly, you know, a road trip to UNC is close. I, I won't say it's unwinnable, but that's that's about as tough of a road game as you're going to get anywhere. So I think that puts into context what the schedule looks like. I think for Michigan, it's just uh, – I don't want to use this this early in the season, but it's sort of survive in advance. Just try to get yep. as many wins as you can here, um, specifically in Maui. Uh, just try to knock off a couple because if you can get a few, then at least you got some resume-building wins as you move forward, and the strength of schedule well, should, so, should bail like, you out a little bit. Can we talk about Maui for, for one second? Maui is kind of a really interesting thing because if Michigan wins their first game, then they will more than likely avoid Chaminade, which is a big deal because Chaminade is terrible. Chaminade is a Division II team that is only going to wreck the RPI. If they win and they beat, they have LSU, who they, I think they should beat. I don't think LSU is going to be very good. I think the semifinal would be Notre Dame. I don't have the bracket in front of me, but I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And then, I, then the final I, I think with Chicago so, State. Yeah. And Wichita State could be a top five or top seven team at that point. So that first game in Maui, you're either playing even two or three more massive RPI games, or you're totally shooting yourself in this potentially really mediocre teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's here's the bracket. Um, yeah, Michigan will likely get Notre Dame if they beat LSU. After that, um, they're going to get whoever is on the, the other side of the bracket, which is probably going to be uh, Wichita State, one would think. Um, yep. So, I mean, that's that's a chance to add three huge resume wins. Now, it's probably unlikely Michigan wins all three of those games, specifically because, uh, personally, I, I just I think Wichita State's going to be a monster this year. Uh, but I it wouldn't shock me if Michigan can get at least a couple of those. Um, and, and that alone would get you through most of your non-con here with at least some resume wins there. Definitely. But, yeah, what? Uh, but um, jumping into Big Ten play here, you know, we generally know what to expect, so I'm not going to ask for a uh, you know game-by-game uh, prediction here, but Michigan gets a double play against Purdue. They have a double play against Northwestern. Um, I'm trying to see who the, the other double play is here, but – so yeah, I mean they get they get uh, Michigan State on the road, uh, double play against Maryland as well. So a lot of tough games here. Um, what do you make of this schedule, um, and can Michigan get through it? Um, yeah, I mean 
So the really interesting thing, um, and I'm sure that you've touched touched on this a lot, is most people are, are under the presumption that Michigan State is the clear-cut favorite in the Big Ten this year. Um, you know, they're loaded. They're really deep. The question is, who's the second-best team? Um, people seem to be crazy high in Northwestern. I really like them. Um, they have they have a, a whole slew of players coming back, and they bring in uh, they, they bring back Aaron Falzone, who redshirted because he was hurt. They bring back one other guy, um, Rap and I think that's how you say his name. Um, but but no, I, I mean Northwestern on paper should be loaded. We'll see how good they actually are. Um, Purdue is, is ranked to start the season. Minnesota is ranked to start the season. But, you know, is Michigan better potentially than Minnesota? Is Michigan maybe better than Northwestern? I mean, that's really hard to tell. And Michigan has a shot, I think, to honestly be the second-best team in the Big Ten. That, that would not totally surprise me. But they could also finish seventh. So, I mean, I think, like you said, those games against Northwestern, those games against Purdue, especially since they're both double plays, are massive absolutely massive. Their chance, chances to potentially get really good resume wins, but, you know, those are the games at the end of the season. Yeah, Michigan goes 0-4 against Northwestern and Purdue. That could be the difference between the NCAA tournament and, and missing it. So, again, I think it's way too early to tell. Um, I, I don't think people thought Minnesota was going to be particularly good last year, and then they had a really nice season um, until the end. But um, I, I think the schedule is manageable. Um but, you know, you have two tough games at the end of the season at Penn State and at Maryland. So hopefully it's not coming down to that in February and Michigan is grinding its teeth looking for, for that win to put them to the 19 or 20 win mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for Michigan the keys are, and, and these are going to sound super general, so uh, whatever uh, they are. <laughs> but I, I think I think the first thing is is you've got to hope one of those double team plays underwhelms a little bit. And yeah. I, I know strength of schedule helps you, but, uh, you know, you're just talking off the top, uh, Purdue, Northwestern, and Maryland. Um, that's, that's six games right there. Those, those three teams all made the NCAA tournament last year. They were all top 25-ish. They're all projected to be top 25-ish, if not better, this year. Um, you really – you just need one to underwhelm. Uh, I'll say that much. You know, Maryland might be the, the biggest candidate just due to yeah. some of their offseason attrition. We'll see. But I think the first thing is is you got to hope one of them underwhelms. Or, uh, I mean, I guess the alternate is or Michigan's just elite, uh, which probably just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But um, you got to hope one of, the, one of those underwhelms because that doesn't even include on top of that. You also have road games at Michigan State and Wisconsin, um, and a road game in Iowa. So that's – and Michigan, I, I think Michigan fans know well their history at Iowa uh, with Beeline. It's not very yeah, pretty. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's that's nine games right there that all look very, very difficult, and that's half your Big Ten game. So, so I, I think, I think, I think the, the double play, is, Thomas, that, that Michigan really needs to capitalize on, which is unfortunate it's in the middle of a daunting stretch, but I think it's Ohio State. I mean, you know, the fact that, that Chris Holtman mm-hmm. brought in Michigan walk-on, backup, whatever you want to call him, Andrew Dockage, <laughs> as an insurance policy at point guard, I think says everything you need to know about Ohio State's trajectory this year. But that's one of those weird, tricky Big Ten Monday night games. It's a 6.30 start, like, it's in early December. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of those games that, you know, it, it's not going to mean much, totally come back to bite Michigan. 
if they lose that game in Columbus, I think that I think early on, I think that's a must-win game. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I I think that was that was the next part of my uh, my three-point thing here. I think the first is you got to hope one of those double play teams underwhelms, and maybe Maryland, maybe Northwestern. Um, second, you got to take care of those winnable games. I mean, uh, unlike last year, you're not going to be able to afford to let a game slip away against an Ohio state or an Illinois or someone like that. You got, you got to win those games. And a big part of that, why why I'm saying, I don't think they'll have the same, um, you know, margin for error is just because the non-con is so tough. I think it's going to be tough to add a bunch of wins there. Um, And then the last is you got to score an upset or or two here. Um, And we'll, we'll see, you know, obviously, uh, predictions here uh, vary on these teams but you know you got to take care of a of a Purdue you got to maybe upset Michigan State which will be immensely difficult especially on the road in a rivalry environment but you know you got to win some of those maybe steal a game on the road against a Maryland or Northwestern or someone like that so it'll be interesting to see I think Michigan can get through this slate but uh, you're going to you can't, you can't afford uh, slip-ups. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, not a huge margin for error. But um, but with that, um, let's let's jump back into the team here for a second. Let's talk about the lineup. Um, what's your prediction for the starting lineup? Um, which spots are you watching the most? And sort of uh, any, anything else you want to add regarding the lineup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, if you would have asked me this question a month ago, I would have told you that the starting point guard would have been Jordan Simmons, no questions asked. Uh, right now, it, it seems like it's Xavier Simpson uh, for now. We'll we'll see what happens going forward. Um, I think you made a good point that it'll probably take him a couple Simmons a couple months to learn the offense. Um, but for now, D-line is rolling with with Simpson, and uh, and we'll see what he can do. Um, I think the other four spots are pretty much secure for the moment. Um, I think you'll see. Uh, Mar at shooting guard. Um, I think you'll see Charles Matthews on one wing. You'll see Duncan Robinson on the other wing. And then you'll have your, your do-it-all center, Moritz Wagner, uh, starting at the five. Um, behind them, um, I, I mean, I, I, it'll be interesting because I think, um, you know, Michigan has a, has a kind of tricky thing trying to figure out who is actually going to get uh, the backup minutes. Um because it seems right now like Eli Brooks would be a great candidate um, for some minutes, so maybe he'll play more at the two. Um, I could see, you know, as of now, Jaron Simmons will be the backup point guard. Um, I, I guess Ibi Watson will be the de facto backup three. Um, it'll be hard to see how many minutes he'll get. Um, Isaiah Livers, I think, will be Robinson's backup, but my prediction for the year is that by the end of the season, Livers will be starting and Robinson will be coming off the bench. Um, I just think Livers' rebounding and defense is more of a value, and Robinson was so good in a in a bench role last season um, that I think he'll thrive there. Um, and then backup center right now, you can just kind of toss a coin between your two seven-footers and, and see who, who will play six or eight minutes. Um, so right now I think it, it's clear – you know, Michigan has eight, nine, ten guys um, that would make sense that I could see playing. Um, I kind of hope that Beeline uh, is more stringent on the lineup like he was last year and, and focuses on eight guys. Um, I think it just makes for a more cohesive unit. Um, I think uh, of the eight, I think realistically we'll probably see it'll be Simmons, 
It'll be um, it'll be Isaiah Livers, and it'll be uh, a backup center who we don't know yet. And maybe it'll be Watson. will will get a couple minutes, but I think Beeline will probably try to stick to eight players again. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, for me the the easy one is uh, Wagner up front. I, I think he will certainly yes. start at five. Um, I I think Matthews is going to start as well somewhere on the wing, whether the three, the four, however you want to sort that out. My my yep. guess is the four. Um, and then I I think Duncan Robinson is going to start for a large section of the season. Maybe that changes in the the heart of Big Ten play. I'm I'm not totally sure yet. But uh, I, I think those three are going to be the three through five. I, I think that's a pretty safe bet. And I think Marr will start at the two as well. I think yeah. your main drama early on is going to be who's going to start at point guard. Um, sure. It sounds like Xavier Simpson's going to be the guy as of now. I do think, as I before on, the, on this podcast, uh, I think Simmons is going to push him for the starting job as time goes on or at least the majority of the minutes. But I, I certainly think uh, – I don't think anyone is going to dominate the minutes at that position. I think there'll be a pretty strong rotation and who knows, maybe they'll play multiple guys at once if, if they can uh, get some depth developed there. And I, I think the other spot to watch, I, I am with you. I think it's how do they sort out that wing? Can they push guys around depending on, yep. you know, who develops quickly, who offers the, the most advantages, you know, you look to, a guy like Livers, he's a guy with a, a lot of potential. For me, I'm I'm really going to be interested to see what Poole can do. I think he's a guy who could earn nice minutes as, as time goes on, and, and a guy like Watson uh, as well. He's another guy who, you know, if he does hit the ground running, which we'll have to see, as I mentioned, I, I still think he's pretty raw. Um, maybe he's a guy who can earn some minutes there at well excuse me, as well at either the two or the three, depending on what so, Michigan wants so to play. Thomas, you don't you don't think it was any it was telling at all that Poole barely got off the bench in an exhibition game where Beeline was trying to see how everyone would play? I mean to me that seems like a like a huge telling point so far. Yeah, I mean I, I just I'm always a little hesitant to buy in uh to the minute setups this early. Um just because I, I feel like um guys do uh things do shake up a little bit once we get like a month or two in specifically with the freshmen um because i mean we we've seen uh i'm trying to think of uh off the top of my head uh some examples but i mean um like like for instance with pool like i i don't think he's going to take a starting job uh this season but it mm-hmm. would it shock me though if he started playing you know very very small minutes but you know, in a month or two, all of a sudden he starts getting serious minutes because he's improved his conditioning, he's improved his defense. Wouldn't sure. shock me. Um, my my guess is he, he will probably get minimal minutes, but I, I do think he's a guy worth watching just because, you know, if he can offer an offensive boost, um, I, I think sometimes it'll be tough to, to keep guys like that off the floor. Um, but it, it should be interesting to watch, but I definitely think it's going – the biggest position battle will be at point guard and we'll sort of see how that, that sorts out. But Definitely. with that, um, to get to the most fun part here, uh, overall season predictions, how do you see this team doing? Where do you see them in the big 10? Uh, do they make the postseason? If they do, where, where do they go? How far do they go? Um, and uh, just general thoughts, I guess, as far as this season goes. Yeah. Um, 
Hmm. I'm going to say Michigan's going to finish fifth or I think fifth in the Big Ten. Um, I'd love to tell you that, that, you know, this team is going to finish in the top four and they're going to be, they're going to be great. But I think right now, you know, just, just based on what we've seen and what we've heard, I think, um, I think Michigan State is probably better. I think Northwestern is better. I think Purdue is better. Um, and then I don't know kind of who, who will be that fourth team, but I, but I don't see – I see Michigan as fifth. I, I think I'd probably put them probably 10 and 8, 11 and 7 again. Um, I could see a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And um, I could see Michigan, you know, winning their first game, challenging uh, a really – good team in the round of 32 and maybe pulling it off. I mean, they were, Michigan was able to beat Louisville uh, last year and that kind of propelled them and they made a run in that seven seed. I see something very similar this year. Um, who knows? Um, you know, we, we, we've touched on this a bunch. The question is, you, I think, and you, you, you know Wagner and you're high on Matthew, so you're not sure he's a star. I think you have those two. But I think you need one more guy who – is either going to become a star in his role or become a really valuable asset because I've I've tried to figure out the math, but I don't know how Michigan is is going to consistently score 70 points a game. I don't think there's enough consistent offensive weapons. And if Michigan can find more of those, then I think this team becomes really, really good. If they don't, I think they'll struggle. I think defensively it's still a major issue. I mean, your two starting front court players are definitely negative defensively between Wagner and Robinson. Um, Matthews will help alleviate some of that, but, you know, Matthews can't guard three players on the floor. Um, so I think if they're, if they're able to, to defensively sharpen up a bit, um, but if they're unable to, then they're just going to have to win shootouts. And obviously the team can shoot, but can they get consistently 70 points a game? I don't know. So those are my predictions. What about you? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty similar as far as Michigan's overall projections. I think they'll be in the top half of the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to be in serious contention for the Big Ten title this year without uh, someone really surprising and, and just emerging as, as we go on, which, you know, one one thing about this year's team that I think is a little different than last year's is uh, last year's depth guys were a lot of older players. Um, you know, you look at Denell. Um, you look at, uh, you know, even, even guys like, uh, you know, Duncan Robinson or guys like Irvin who they sort of shifted. They played a lot, a lot of minutes, um, those yeah. top guys, which I, I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, but it kind of limits your, your ceiling, um, you know, when your backups like – like Ibby Watson is, is one of the young backups on last year's team. He played 5.4% of their minutes. Uh, Janelle, 30%. Yeah. Uh, the the minutes were dominated by the starting five and Duncan Robinson, which yeah, uh, which was fine. Guy. That's what we that's what but, we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and the thing is, is it's like that really limits the potential. You're not going to get totally. a six guy blowing up or or something like that. And this year's team, I I think they have it. As we mentioned, I think they have a pretty. Uh, I want to say reliable, but like it's pretty easy to project those four guys at the two through five spots, yep. Um, yep. at least early. But I, I think they have guys like Livers. Um, maybe you're a little bit lower on Pool than me. Um, a guy like Pool or like Brooks um, who can emerge sort of as they get their feet under them. They can get more minutes yep. and, and really help push the team, which I, I think is encouraging. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on can anyone push Duncan Robinson on the wing? And moreover, how does that point guard position turn out? Because if Michigan has a black hole at point guard, which I don't think will happen, but it's, <laughs> we don't know yet. Um, that's going to really derail a lot because Beeline's offense is predicated on good point guard play. And I, I think that's going to be a huge thing um, to watch this season. But I think they're going to finish in the top half of the Big Ten, as I mentioned. I think they'll be in NCAA tournament contention. I think they'll get in. I, I think they might have to sweat a little bit just because um, you, you look at the schedule and it, it's just going to be tough. I mean, they're going to have Hard. to score some yeah. big wins. Otherwise, not going to have a lot of them, um, you know. And strength of schedule, for as nice as it'll be for Michigan this year, um, it, it's only good f- so far. I mean, if you're not getting wins, at, at some point that argument sort of runs out. So I, I think Michigan will be in the top half of the Big Ten and the NCAA tournament. I think this team is, is capable of getting to the second weekend. I think they probably have to score a major upset to do so. Um, yep. I think more likely they're a six, round of 64, round of 32 team. And um, and then, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in the offseason with potential NBA decisions looming for Wagner and, and Matthews to see what happens after that. But, uh, but next season, 2018-19, uh, I think is a year where, where this team could take off. But, um, but with that, uh, Josh, any final thoughts here on the Wolverines, on the Big Ten, or anything else today? No, I think I think we pretty much touched on it. Um, I mean, I'm really excited to see this team. We've discussed, we know those four guys, but who are the other four, five, six guys that are going to step up and contribute? Um, it's really fascinating because we don't know who it's going to be. And it could be, uh, we've touched on most of the players, but we don't know which one of them is going to emerge. Um, and like you said, they might not necessarily emerge until second semester, and it could be January when they – when they finally start to play, maybe you're right. It's pool. Maybe, maybe I'm lucky and it, it'd be lost. And, um, but, I, <laughs> but this team has a tremendous amount of potential. Um, and it's a beeline coach team. So I'm excited. Definitely. Uh, I think everybody's excited to, to get things rolling, but, uh, but Josh, uh, thanks for joining us. Where can people uh, follow you on Twitter? Yeah. Um, so they can follow me at uh, JM Stern 23 um, I'll be tweeting and writing about Michigan all year. Um, Thomas and I are both Michigan grads, so in our analysis, um, you'll probably find a little bit of bias. So sorry, but but not really. Um, we, we we both love the team. We've both been covering them for a while. Um, yes, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me at BT Powerhouse. I'll be writing about Michigan. Um, and really excited to get the season going. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this is a good opportunity for me as well. I don't know if I've ever addressed this on our, on our podcast or our site. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one thing, you know, as far as bias, you know, everybody always likes to think, uh, you know, you're biased towards your own team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've always found there's really two approaches. There's either just not acknowledge anything um, or just be outright and, and forward with it. And I think I, I've chosen that. I know you choose that as well, you know, so people can sort of view it and and evaluate it how they want. They know where I stand. Um, But uh, I think our coverage is generally pretty, 
pretty even uh, across the board um, as far as uh, BT Powerhouse goes. But uh, but thanks for coming on, and I, I just wanted to hit that briefly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's but, totally uh, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh all right man well thanks for coming on i appreciate it and uh we'll get some college basketball here soon yeah man sounds good looking forward to talking again soon <laughs> definitely um so that was uh josh stern he's one of our writers and uh they said i just wanted to take one second to talk about the whole bias thing it's fitting since uh we're doing the michigan podcast today which is obviously uh um my my team uh in the league but with that, I'm going to call it wraps for today. Uh, my name is Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. You can follow BT Powerhouse on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Check us out. We will see you next time as we continue our season preview series. And thanks, guys.